0: Welcome to the Let's Get Cyclical podcast. On today's episode, I am sharing a conversation that I had with Dr. Megan Pellicani, who is a pelvic floor PT, and we sat down to chat all things pelvic floor and periods. So I can't wait. If you are not familiar with pelvic floor physical therapy, this is a must listen, and I can't wait for you all to dive in. All right. Hi, everybody. I am Vicki. I am a certified nutrition coach and certified fertility awareness method educator from New Jersey. So I work with a lot of women to help them understand their cycles. I help a lot of women transition off birth control and then work to incorporate nutrition lifestyle habits to best support them in regulating their cycles after birth control or fertility goals, things like that.
1: Nice. And Vicky was actually my period coach when I got off of hormonal birth control. And I'm sure we'll talk about that. But uh, she helped me a ton, lifesaver, and I learned so much. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. I am Dr. Megan. I am a pelvic floor physical therapist. And so I really help men, women, really anybody with a pelvis um, with things like continence, pain with sex, bowel movements. Uh, pregnancy, postpartum, I know probably it's mostly females on here, but also like erectile dysfunction, all the things on the male side. Uh, and so, I think this is gonna be really fun because even just working with Vicki, it's like there's such a crossover between period stuff, pelvic floor stuff. And I know like if I have any patients on here, I've probably told every one of my patients that has a period to like, you know, it's not gonna hurt to definitely do period coaching so and i know you did
0: pelvic floor therapy during your pregnancy i was just to say i am such a fan of pelvic floor pt like i was doing it prior to pregnancy because i was having some issues and like i'm totally open to talking about that um and then throughout my pregnancy and now postpartum i'm doing pelvic pt and i recommend it to pretty much every single one of my clients as well
1: (laughs) absolutely love that love that uh, so we got a lot of like Instagram questions, so we're just going to go through those. But if you have any questions, like while we're talking, just like put it in the comments and we'll try to get to it. Um, but let's kind of like go through the list here. If you want to start off Vicky with some, some of the stuff. Sure. Um, okay. So these first
0: couple of questions came from my Instagram followers. So they are for you about pelvic floor. Um, and so this first one, I think is a really great question and
1: it's how do we get pelvic PT to become more mainstream postpartum care? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, this question made me laugh because internally I'm like, I'm trying, we're trying. Um, and it's so funny because if you ever spend time like overseas or just like do research about other countries, it is the standard of care to, like, see a, uh, like, your ob guy or midwife, and then at six weeks at least, you're also seeing a pelvic floor therapist, and it is covered by, like, your standard insurance, whereas for pelvic floor PT in the States, it's just not, and we have gotten this kind of idea that, especially in, like, the postpartum community, that like peeing your pants is normal. I mean, I have, you know, my mother at one point had like something about peeing in her house, like a decoration. I'm like, we don't do that. Like that's not supposed to be normal, but it has become so normalized uh, to kind of go through that and really to make it more mainstream. It's like, obviously us pelvic floor PTs, we're like trying to do the advocacy, uh, but really as the patient, it, you'll kind of need to advocate for yourself. And so it really depends on what state you're in, but in most states you can just like walk into a pelvic floor physical therapy clinic and be like, hey, I want treatment. And then you get your doctor to sign on to it afterwards. But um, if you really like, if you're having issues with peeing, with pooping, with sex, you need to tell your doctor that we need a pelvic floor physical therapy referral to, um, to get that sorted even. And if they like laugh in your face, then you go anyways. Yeah. And so it's not for a lack of trying. I promise you we're trying to make it more mainstream. It's just, it's hard because doctors do have kind of like a grip on, on health, on the healthcare system. So. yeah.
0: And I was going to say too, like, even just in my own postpartum experience, like, I'm not really dealing with anything that I would consider crazy symptomatic, yeah. but <laughs> like I'm so disconnected yeah. from my core. And it's sure. like, I feel fine. I could probably jump back into exercise, right. but it wouldn't be good for me. And I just feel like so
1: many women are probably doing things yeah. like that for sure. and it's sure. going to lead to issues yeah. after. Yeah. Right. And you, you have to think of it from a lens to like give, especially like in the postpartum lens, giving birth is crazy. That's vaginal delivery, crazy C-section, major abdominal surgery. And then they technically are just like, okay, six weeks, everything looks good. Let's like, you can do whatever you want. And on the pelvic floor side, I'm like, whoa, like we need, we do need to get more connected. And I think I was talking with a patient not too long ago. A lot of the stuff that we do at pelvic floor therapy is getting you mind body connection, like coordinated, be more in tune. Cause a lot of times when I have patients come in, like they don't know how to breathe, they don't know how to engage their core. And so it boils down to like coordination Mm -hmm. and we'll talk about that in a a little bit too, but it is really worthwhile to just like make sure that you have a strong foundation, especially in that postpartum recovery so that you can just build and then get back to what you want. Cause sometimes it's like, if you, um, you know, get cleared at six weeks, you go and start running, um, you know, you might end up leaking or if you don't have great coordination, like maybe some heaviness prolapse mm-hmm. on the line. Like if you just don't have all of your ducks in a row that a public floor physical therapist can just like check on you <laughs> right now, I me mean, right now thinking about going back to exercising. Yeah. It's definitely, I mean, if you think about like, if you have a toothache or something, like you're not going to take care of that on your own. You're going to go see a specialist. And so, I think a lot of people underestimate how crazy pregnancy and delivery is like in that realm. And you don't definitely don't have to be in that population to see a pelvic floor therapist, but that takes a toll on, on you. And so it, it, you need to rehab it essentially. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. All
0: right. So then the next question is what's something women who can't afford pelvic PT could be doing at home to help?
1: Yeah. So I would say, like, to preface this question, if you, like, if you're postpartum or if you're pregnant and you're having symptoms that aren't going away on their own with, like, your standard chiropractic care or just, like, exercise, that's when we need to input a specialist. And so I know, you know, cost affordability is a very, like, sensitive subject. And so, uh, you know, if it's in the budget, I'm always going to recommend it. If not, I... Honestly, diaphragmatic breathing, if you can learn to breathe with your diaphragm, that's going to be huge because it's connected with your pelvic floor. Um, I'll make sure after this, I have like a video that I posted on like how to breathe with your diaphragm. Some people get confused on like how to actually engage it. So I'll share that. But that one's huge because baseline that helps you with your coordination. If you can breathe with your diaphragm, your pelvic floor is also moving. And so that's a huge one. Um, a lot of times for my patients who have leakage, once I get them to breathe with their diaphragm, they come back and they're like, I don't have leakage anymore. And I'm like, yes, (laughs) coordination. Um, another one is like exercising specifically walking. Walking Mm -hmm. is like such a good, um, exercise for your pelvic floor because you're getting all of the hip mobility and kind of all of the rotation. Um, and so, Definitely would recommend that just staying active in general. A lot of times to just with physical therapy, like we get you moving, which is kind of what a lot of people need. Uh, another one I put on here is getting on a magnesium supplement. like I don't know if you'll talk about this, but I recommend magnesium to everyone. Everybody needs to be in a magnesium supplement. Uh, it is such a like, integral part of our diet and hormones, as I've learned, but our, like, soil in the U.S. is just so deficient in magnesium, and so if I have a patient that comes in with, like, constipation, uh, poor, like, gut motility, Mm -hmm. stress, um, because your body pulls magnesium when you're stressed, and so getting on that supplement can help a lot, and with sleep, too, and so foundationally, I would say, like, 99% 99% of my patients are on a magnesium supplement for sure. Um, I would say I'll just jump yeah. in on that quick while we're on the topic of yeah. it. So, I've been personally
0: learning a lot more about minerals, and so magnesium is absolutely amazing, and so many people can definitely benefit from being on it. Something I recommend though, because I'm now learning that jumping into supplementing right away. Mm. Might be a little too intense for some people, so yeah. there's really great like magnesium topicals, yeah. So, like oh, magnesium really. lotion, mm. magnesium sprays, yeah. And then, honestly, this is super cheap and easy and also a stress reducing technique. But, an Epsom, Epsom salt Solva. bath. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, those are my favorite ways to get started with magnesium,
1: yeah. And I would say, even because we use a magnesium here in the clinic, um, that is like arnica with magnesium in it. And my, especially my pregnant patients who get like the leg cramps at night, I have them rub that on and it just like takes care of it. And so really your body is like screaming for magnesium, but going into that too, um, something that you can do, like if we just can't afford pelvic floor therapy is to manage your stress. Um, a lot of people, when they come in, especially if they're like pelvic pain, uh, their body is like in a continuous cycle, like fight or flight. They're not managing their stress, and their body's not getting the rest that they need. And so, a lot of stuff that we do also focuses on your stress management, your recovery, making sure you're not overdoing it with workouts, and obviously, like nutrition aspect and stuff like that. Yeah. And so
0: that the stress piece is
1: huge
0: as far as menstrual cycles and hormones too. So that's a big benefit. Um, and to yeah. get clear to that question about, do you take that in addition to a prenatal? So most I have, I have not found a single prenatal that has enough magnesium. So yes, that is definitely something you'd want to do in addition to the prenatal. But if you've never taken the magnesium before, I would start the topical. So I wouldn't yeah. jump right into a supplement right away. Yeah,
1: For sure. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Cool. Awesome. Great.
0: Um, okay. And then the next question, what can I do? This is similar about like, what can I do at home? Yeah. So this question was, what can I do at
1: home besides Kegels to strengthen my pelvic floor? Yeah. So, Oh, I definitely, if anybody is like, follows me on here, I am very like, I don't, anti-Kegels is a strong word. I don't do Kegels in my clinic. It's not functional. And I find it a lot of times when my patients come in and they've been trying to like rehab on their own, they're like, I've tried kegels and you know, am I doing them right? Like what's going on? It's not really helping. Um, when we think about your pelvic floor, I think about it in a lens of, it needs to function like a trampoline. So it needs to be able to give when it needs to give and then contract when it needs to contract. Involuntarily. So it's like when you're running to keep you from leaking, that pelvic floor should be doing that work on its own. Um, The thing with Kegels is that it's like a voluntary thing. And so you are engaging, you know, ideally in a situation where you would have like leakage or you feel heaviness or something, but you're overriding your body's like involuntary response to those actions. And so for me, I'm looking at it as like a functionality standpoint it's not functional. I would rather have your pelvic floor doing that all on its own so that when you're running, you don't have to think about, let me tighten everything to make sure that I don't leak or like in pregnancy too. I have patients doing key when in reality, we need to like learn to actually relax your pelvic floor. And I would say like 99% of my patients when they come in, it's like, we actually need to learn to let it go and kind of like open up that space in the pelvis rather than holding onto any more tension. Um, and so I don't like kegels. They're just not super functional. I wouldn't recommend doing them. Do I do them to like assess your pelvic floor? Sure. But I'm not sending you home with like, let's do kegels. Um, it's outdated. It's not functional. I don't do them. Um, and if you, a red flag for, like, a pelvic floor therapist, if you do go to one, if they are just having you do Kegels and not functional movement, then they're really doing you a, a disservice. Um, but in terms of, like, yeah, pelvic floor strengthening, same things that I mentioned, like, the walking, the stress management, uh, it really boils down to, I'm not trying to get your pelvic floor stronger. I'm trying to get it more coordinated.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And this... This isn't a question, but I was just thinking about this. Yeah. I feel like most women have that assumption that their pelvic floor is weak. Is weak, yeah. Whereas in my own personal experience, and just from like what I know about pelvic floor PT, and like yeah. you said, most women, it's too tight. Yeah. Do the symptoms of both a weak and a tight pelvic floor are they the same? <laughs> are they different?
1: Yeah, and it really is like I guess in with um, what I assess, it's like there it's obviously a spectrum it's like you're not always like super tense and tight you're not always like weak and unstable so I find that there's generally kind of like a crossover between the two um like with my patients who have prolapse or like heaviness symptoms a lot of them are like oh like my pelvic floor is so weak like it's just gonna fall out when in reality you have like tension a lot of tension like in the back of your pelvic floor not enough in the front so it's like you have a double kind of thing going on uh but it definitely can mimic both like what you would think a tight pelvic floor uh, in terms of like painless sex things like that uh, can actually also be signs of like a weaker pelvic floor or a pelvic floor that just isn't coordinated with the activities that it, it should be and so this is where it gets like kind of tough of like you self-assessing because it's, it's really just like such a broad spectrum that, um, you know, you, we can't just give one thing for it, but, um, kind of like the things like the diaphragmatic breathing, walking, um, stress management. If you do all of that and it's like, okay, if this isn't really helping, then we probably need to seek some like expert advice. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Okay, I think this next one. This is one <laughs> a couple of my patients commented, but I also want had like my own personal, um, you know, ask. But benefits of getting off of hormonal birth control. I know this is like what you your bread and butter, and why I ended up seeing you in the first place. And so I'm excited to hear you I talk
0: was, about it. I'm gonna say, how much time yeah. do you have? <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> um, but so I also have a couple Instagram posts that I will share my story and tag you so you could share with your audience for after, but, um, benefits of if it's getting up birth control, there are quite a lot. So I guess I'll just start by saying that what birth control is doing, and I'm talking hormonal birth control, pill patch, um, NuvaRing, things like that is essentially suppressing your hormonal function so that ovulation doesn't happen. And you might be sitting here like, okay, but like, if I don't want to get pregnant, isn't that a good thing? Yes, but you are missing out on so many health benefits when you don't ovulate and when you don't have this cyclical release of hormones. So one thing I like to say is that ovulation really is like a sign of health. Our menstrual cycle is our fifth vital sign. And when we are suppressing that, we don't really, we can't keep tabs on what's going on with our body. So if we're not on hormonal birth control, for example, and we're not showing signs of ovulation, we need to dig a little deeper and say, what's going on with my body that's preventing that ovulation from happening? So that's one reason to not be on birth control is that you get to actually see what's going on with your health through your menstrual cycle. The second reason why I think it's important to not be on birth control is that you're not getting the benefits of estrogen and progesterone when you're on birth control. And so I'm gonna just read off a couple of reasons why these hormones are important for us in addition to our menstrual cycle. So estrogen, for example, stimulates our brain cells, whereas progesterone maintains and heals them. Estrogen is our feel good hormone, progesterone is our keep calm and our relax and our sleep hormone or you know, sleep and relaxation estrogen gives us increased energy, progesterone, again, kind of calms things down a bit. We're more outgoing when we have that rise in estrogen and we're more focused and rational when we have that rise in progesterone. So when we take that out, because you're on hormonal birth control, you're missing out on a lot of other important things happening in the body. So that's kind of like my quick answer to that. And I'm sure there's more things we could talk about too. Like well, let me just say it actually, it totally impacts your gut microbiome being on hormonal birth control. So that's a big one. Um, it severely depletes certain vitamins and minerals when you're on hormonal birth control for a long time. So there's definitely a lot of reasons why if you don't yeah. have to be on it and don't want to be on it to not.
1: Yeah. And I think even from like a pelvic floor standpoint, cause I see I see a good amount of people that do like fertility awareness or like even the Crichton method, like they'll do that or they're on birth control. Um, And a couple ways that it can impact your pelvic floor is one. um, There's actually a few studies that, Taking, I think it was specifically the pill, but taking the pill long term, and I think long term was defined as like greater than six months, it can actually cause irritation and dryness to like the vulvar tissue. And so I've had quite a few patients who have been on birth control long period of time and they just have this like pain with sex like upon entry that just does not go away and it's like we've done everything and it's like that's the limiting factor and i'm like oh like this could be something that's worth a shot mm-hmm. um, and it's it's like something that's visible too like you can see the irritation at the vulva wow. um, another one is like your sex drive is in the okay. tank like when you're on <laughs> <laughs> and for like a pelvic floor standpoint orgasms are huge because that just like tons of blood flow to the pelvic floor it's a full contraction full relaxation Mm -hmm. Um, i'm a huge proponent of orgasms i want my patients to have them and if they just don't have to sex drive for that then they're missing out on some good benefits um so those are and like with the gut microbiome stuff like the pooping i have a lot of patients who just like have these like intestinal symptoms that just are not um you know going away and again we have to think about the you're not getting that ebb and flow of those hormones so
0: yeah my my gut personally was a mess when I was on birth control my, and coming off it. <laughs> yeah uh, yeah. yeah and and that's going back to the libido thing I just think that's the ultimate irony of like so you're so on something like preventing
1: pregnancy but
0: then you're not going to want to have it's tons of pregnancy.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, it's tough, but I guess, you know, that's why we're talking about this. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, um, Let's even see. Okay. So like after, if you decide to get off hormonal birth control and I, I'm sure the answer is going to vary, but how long can somebody expect until they start having like more of a normal period? Yeah. There's,
0: it's so dependent on so many things. Um, a couple of numbers to throw out there. So it takes about a hundred days for an immature follicle to become the mature follicle and the egg that is ovulated. So what that means is if you are starting nutrition and lifestyle changes today, about three cycles from now is when you're going to actually see those benefits. So I would say like at a minimum three months is a, a good place to start. Um, this is not like a scientific number by any means, but I always like to say to my clients, think about how many years you were on birth control and give your body that many months. Yeah. So like, for example, I was on hormonal birth control for 11 years. I gave myself 11 months, basically a full year to like really see that full on regulation. <laughs> yeah. Does Does that mean that you're not going to get a period? No, that just means that your cycles might not be like, textbook normal
1: for a while yeah for sure yeah I think that definitely and just like anecdotally for me I was on hormonal birth control for like a greater part of a decade and it's like still like my periods are okay but you know it's still just like leveling out and so Mm -hmm. it just it all just depends which is a typical like PT answer too like it depends but it's the truth and you know um, what about a couple of questions on here? So patients who are like breastfeeding, I know that can be a little bit difficult to do kind of like fertility awareness method. And then also, um, actually, yeah, that's, that's the one that I wanted to talk about.
0: Um, so that's kind of where I'm currently at in my life. Yeah. Cause I had a baby in June, I'm um, breastfeeding. So breastfeeding. And using FAM is not one for the faint of heart. It's definitely challenging because from a hormonal standpoint, the hormone prolactin, which is our breastfeeding hormone, suppresses FSH, which is what kicks off the ovulatory cycle. So we're not really getting this cyclical nature of hormones. So cervical mucus is impacted by that. Um, So right now, and and this is the other thing too like there's no way to really tell when a woman is going to get her cycle back with breastfeeding there's it has to do with like frequency of breastfeeding but then also your metabolism and how like supported and fueled your metabolism is but all that to be said is that you can use fam there are two methods that are there's been studies on them postpartum. So the first one is called the Billings ovulation method. And then the second one is called the Marquette method. I'm not certified in either of those two, but those are just the only two that have been actually studied for postpartum efficacy. Um, I'm certified in FEM. And so I'm basically applying my knowledge of the FEM rules to postpartum and it's still effective. One thing I would say though, is it's probably not the best method to start while you're breastfeeding. Yeah,
1: like have the foundational knowledge and then go through, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And then what about um, kind of the the cycle tracking and all of that went for um, perimenopausal women? So life. Yeah.
0: Um so this is I don't work with a ton of women going through perimenopause, but I can definitely share some of my notes yeah. from my fam training. So perimenopause really roughly lasts four to five years. And a way to think about it is it's a reversal of puberty. So when you first get your period when you're a teenager, your cycles are not super regular. And so that's exactly what's happening in perimenopause, but in the reverse. So there are actually three stages of perimenopause. There's early perimenopause, which is going to look like long or short cycles, but in either scenario, there's a short luteal phase. There's mid perimenopause, which there's still estrogen, LH gets triggered, but it's insufficient. So ovulation doesn't occur. And then bleeding is going to feel random. Like eventually there's going to be a bleed, but again, a short luteal phase. And then lastly, late perimenopause, little estrogens being produced at this point. There's no LH surge. There's no corpus luteum formed because there's no ovulation. So then we get no progesterone. And so that is going to look like really irregular and heavy bleeding. And that's when most women are going to be dealing with those like true, what you would call it, like, menopause symptoms, hot flashes, migraines, mood issues, things like that. Yeah. So I actually think learning FAM and just being able to understand your cycle is so important in perimenopause yeah. because you're seeing that shift from not so regular ovulation all the way to no more ovulation and then that's going to impact like the hormone levels and then what you're seeing from a cervical mucus
1: standpoint. Yeah 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 that's definitely a a, a tough one. I can't say I don't see like a ton. I have a good chunk of patients who are like in that perimenopausal phase and that even then it has a lot just because of like the hormone fluctuations it can impact again, like similar to what the birth control scenario, like the vulvar tissue, the dryness, mm-hmm. like the blood flow. And so, uh, even like similar to the fam stuff, it's like, it's good to know like what your normal is what like pelvic floor and functioning is before you get to that life stage. Right. Cause then it's like, you know, we don't know what it was like before, if that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, I, I
0: will just say, this is a phenomenal resource. It's the Hormone Hormone Repair Manual by Dr. Laura Bryden. So if yes. you are about to enter perimenopause, highly, highly recommend it. Yeah, I think
1: well, we talked about this one too, but also by Laura Bryden, the period repair manual. This, I think I read this one before I saw you, and I was like, I need help. And you can see literally it's all yeah. tabs. Um Amazing stuff. So, It's like, it reads like a textbook too. So it's like, I have this issue. Like, let me index it and find it out. No, 100%. Um, Definitely love that. Okay. This is a question, um, that I had asked you at one point whenever we were um, working together and I know it's like really popular online right now is like cycle syncing your workouts, like doing certain workouts on like luteal phase, follicular, like ovulation, all of that. Um, and I just wanted you to talk about it because I've had questions that my patients have asked me and I'm like, we need to hear it from the horse's mouth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, this is an unpopular opinion. I would say it looks super trendy and it looks really cool to have your calendar and be like, I'm going to walk when I have my period and then I'm going to do my hit workouts and then I'm going to do Pilates. I don't buy into that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: No, Who has the <laughs> time? <laughs> like, oh, okay, it's my follicular phase. I have to do this. So the way that I approach cycle syncing workouts with my clients is... Just pay attention to your energy levels. And that's really something I teach when I work with clients for FAM is we're looking at what phase of the cycle are you in and how do you feel? Cycle-syncing workouts say that when you have your period, you should only be walking, yoga, resting. I know some clients, and I've also personally felt this, who actually feel really strong when they have their period. So why do you not need to strength train if you feel
1: up for it, you know,
0: so I look at it as more of key into your energy fluctuations throughout the cycle, because there will be energy fluctuations, and then work out accordingly. So you don't need to change the types of workouts, but maybe change the intensity based on where you're at and how you feel.
1: Yeah, I for sure agree with that. And like, after we had talked about that, I'm like, you're really doing yourself a disservice if you're like, I have so much energy, but I'm not supposed to be doing like you know, um, listening to your body is like the ultimate. So I think that's that's great. Um, okay, this next one we can probably tag team. Um, period poops. All right, love. This. Yeah, like, yeah. So kind of <laughs> let's go over like the hormonal aspect of it, and then I'll talk a little bit about it too.
0: Definitely. So oh, there's a couple things happening with our bowel movements and the cycle. So. In the first half of the cycle, when estrogen is the dominant hormone, you can expect things to be pretty regular. But then after you ovulate and progesterone is the dominant hormone, that causes muscles to relax and that can lead to more constipation. So Megan, if you want to jump in on
1: that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when it comes like especially the gut motility and stuff, like if it slows down, that's definitely going to cause more Constipation, But from a pelvic floor standpoint, if you think about like your pelvic floor is just like a bowl of muscles and it holds your rectum, your uterus, your bladder. And so if you are dealing with constipation, you're putting a lot more effort kind of on the pelvic floor. And generally, too, with constipation, if you're not able to fully relax your rectum when you go to poop, uh, you know, you're going to have more difficulty pooping, having a complete empty, you're going to have to strain to poop. Um, And so it really can become an issue if we're like not able to kind of move it through the system and get everything to relax. And I also find too, if you've got constipation, which is just like harder stools hanging out in the rectum for a long period of time, um, that can then be matched with diarrhea after the fact, because that's the only thing that can move through and around like those harder stools um and so i definitely see that like especially with certain parts of the cycle and things but if your pelvic floor baseline is already kind of like uh you know if you have like period pains and things like that your baseline is already maybe like a little bit tense or uncoordinated then your body's just going to try and protect and protect even more so um And so I do want to amend, actually, because I can't believe I didn't even bring this up, but to things that you can do at home, also, like, when you're having constipation with period stuff is to get a squatty potty, uh, because that essentially is putting your pelvic floor in a way better position to have um, poops without straining, so. Definitely, yeah.
0: Yeah. And then to address, like, the actual period poops, Mm -hmm. which is, Usually, on like cycles days one and two, when your bleeding is heavy, you might also be experiencing some period cramps. A lot of the time, that's matched with diarrhea. And so, what's happening from a hormonal standpoint is at the end of the cycle, estrogen and progesterone are dropping. And it's that drop in progesterone that stimulates, they're called prostaglandins, which is basically going to cause contractions. And that's what starts the shedding of the uterine lining. If you think about the anatomy, and then obviously Megan back me up yeah. on this, but if you think about the anatomy, your uterus and your bowel muscles are so close together. Mm-hmm. So if the uterus is contracting to shed that lining, mm-hmm. that's then also
1: going to contract your bowels and cause that diarrhea. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's all... And when you think about like just the pelvic floor, and if you ever just look at a picture, they're all like right there all together. And so there's actually um, something that a lot of my patients will experience um, called a proctalgia fugae, which is a rectal muscle spasm mm-hmm. on their period. And so a lot of my patients will come in and they're like, yeah, I get this weird like rectal pain on my period and it will feel like just like a really big spasm in your rectum Uh, and it usually will like will come on quick sometimes it hangs around for a little bit but that is also kind of like again the contraction of those muscles but if you're already at a tense state and then it just contracts even more then you get like that really intense spasm which can be an indicator for like pelvic floor dysfunction because it's definitely not in the norm of period symptoms that, um, that you're supposed to, so to speak. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, okay. And then ovulatory pain, I'll touch a little bit on kind of stuff that I do for ovulatory pain for patients, but I'd like to hear what you have to say too, kind of from a period standpoint. Yeah. So the
0: official name for ovulation pain is called middle schmerz which is just like a funny word. (laughs) Um, but So basically I am going to read a quote from a research study. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's been found to coincide with like peak levels of LH. So luteinizing hormone is the hormone that triggers ovulation, which is a good thing. But when I guess there's too much of that LH or maybe it's coming on too quickly, the follicle is enlarging and then that's what's going to be causing that ovulation pain to keep it kind of simple. So that's what's happening from a, what can you do standpoint? It's also very much so connected to inflammation, which is also very much connected to period cramps. So if you're someone who has like pretty crampy periods, paying attention to inflammation is important. Yeah. The difference from a pain standpoint is that ovulation cramping should feel more like pinchy and it should only be on one side. If you're feeling cramps all across around that ovulation time, get yourself checked out because that could be something else going on. Um, But as far as like mitigating inflammation, some things that you could be doing is reducing inflammation in your diet. So, you know, some of the most inflammatory things, and again, this is different for everybody. People react differently to different things, but Lots of fried foods, that's going to be very inflammatory. Um, A lot of sugar is going to be inflammatory. Gluten and dairy for some, not for everybody, can be inflammatory. And then like caffeine and alcohol are also going to be inflammatory. So trying to minimize those things can, you know, help with that. And then balancing blood sugar. So eating protein with your carbs, trying to eat consistently every couple of hours, that's also going to help from an inflammation standpoint and then gut health, which that's a a whole nuanced thing, but you could be having a lot of inflammation due to gut health issues. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think for a lot of my patients who come in with like period stuff or period symptoms, I try to get them like one, to either see a period coach or two, just like try to mitigate those inflammatories that they're taking in their diet. And if they, do all of that and they're still having pain um there's actually not like all pelvic floor therapists are trained in like visceral mobilization which is basically like getting on the organs the fascia like the connective tissue that wraps around it um and basically like manipulating and mobilizing them sometimes with especially like if you've had surgeries or if you've had like bad falls accidents and things like that Your connective tissue can get restricted on certain sides and then cause, you know, like imbalances, tenderness, like because your organs really need to be able to move, especially like when you're going through your cycle, like your uterus and all of that, um, ovaries, fallopian tubes. And if they get restricted, like that's where we can come in and kind of help get that brain body connection to like loosen its grip on those areas and, and decrease pain. And so we'll do that a lot too for patients who are having like really bad cramping or like heavy bleeding or, um, you know, like cervix pain, things like that, mm-hmm. like on their And So, um, definitely like a, a teamwork effort there that, that can be done for, for the period kind of pains. Yeah. And
0: that, that just makes me think personally. So like I'm a C-section mama, mm-hmm. didn't want one, had to have one. Um, because yeah. of that to like scar and that scar mm-hmm. tissue, are C-section women more prone to ovulatory pain, period pain after having that C-section? Yeah,
1: I would say, um, I can't say that it's like, Oh, like a good amount of my patients do have that. But I would say like, whenever they do have it, I'm like, okay, if you didn't have this before pregnancy, this scar is definitely like doing something, even like my patients who have had like laparoscopic surgeries, or if you've been in like a car accident, or like if you're a runner, when we think about like the fascia, when you have something that goes on. Um, your fascia is going to protect your organs and so especially with like the c-section scar is you've got a loss of mobility there um, and it definitely can affect it I sometimes find that like depending on how they cut like where they tie it off at that's generally where a lot more of that restriction comes from and they'll have like the one-sided like things going on Um, and so definitely is a factor it's hard to say like yes for sure but it's something that especially with c-sections um i'm always working on that making sure that that's nice and mobile because that can be a huge factor and like other things that they're dealing with incontinence constipation all of that just because it can hinder mobility of other organs uh, yeah yeah um Okay, this one is kind of uh, a random one, and I'm not sure if you have an answer for it, but do you have a best time of your period to donate blood? Um, um,
0: So (laughs) I don't have an answer for if you have regular cycle. I'll start with that. If you are someone who is in perimenopause or maybe you have PCOS and you don't have as frequent of a period, donating blood can be really good because when you don't have regular cycles, you could potentially be getting this excess of iron, this iron buildup Mm -hmm. and that can cause a whole lot of things. Um, So donating blood in those instances is definitely a good thing. As far as if you have a regular cycle and you are bleeding within 24 to 36 days, those are like the parameters of a regular cycle. I don't really know if there would be a best time, definitely not when you have your period, you're already losing iron and you're already bleeding at that point. Yeah. Um, um, I guess if I'd had to say, I would say after ovulation because that's when the uterine lining has thickened. It's maintained at that point. Um, but again, that's, I don't have an actual answer for that. Those are just like
1: my thoughts. For sure. Yeah. Uh, cool. I had a, Right before I walked into this, one of my coworkers told me to ask, but do you feel like for period coach, like everybody who gets off of hormonal birth control, do you feel like they would benefit from like consulting with the with a period coach? That's a good question.
0: Um,
1: yeah. Yes, from the side of
0: fertility awareness method. And this is like, my biggest thing, like I could get on a soapbox with this. I see a lot of women who come off of birth control and then don't have a plan as far as what are you going to do to prevent pregnancy yes. if you don't want to get pregnant? Yeah. Um, you know, there are things you can try, but are you taking a risk? Yes. Yeah. So I really think it's so important to work with a certified fam educator. If you do one thing, do a consultation, do like take a master class, learn from a certified FAMP educator on your signs of fertility, especially coming off birth control when your cycle might not be super regular. You don't want to chance an unwanted pregnancy. So that's my answer to that. And then from the nutrition side of things, there are absolutely things you can be doing from a nutrition lifestyle standpoint to make that transition easier. Mm-hmm. So, you know, working with a nutrition professional who can also help guide you in that is definitely beneficial, but I would say the fertility awareness method is probably a little bit more important when coming off birth control for sure.
1: Yeah. Love that. Cool. I think we got through all of our questions. Yeah. If anybody else in the comments, I don't think we missed any questions, but if anybody else has comments um, or questions, but I think we got all of them. So cool. Thanks for doing this, Vicki. Yeah,
0: no, this was amazing. I hope that everyone got to take something away from it. And, um, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm a huge fan of pelvic floor PT. So if this could educate
1: my followers okay. who maybe didn't know anything about it, like that's yeah. really important for me. And that's the same with my, my patients. I'm like, have you considered it a period coach? And they're like, I didn't even know that existed. I'm like, well, let me tell you more about it because from somebody that, like I was on birth control since I was 15, 16. I didn't know anything about my cycle. I don't, you know, nobody teaches it to you. And so I feel like along with pelvic floor therapy, like this is some baseline foundational things that like need to be taught a lot earlier on. Cause I'm sure it's the same way for you. But like when I discharge patients, they're like, I wish I would have come here years ago or why has nobody ever told me this before? And so it's like, you know, we're doing our best, but it's just, it needs to be a more integral part of our healthcare system for sure. 100%. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Vicki, I will post this on our Instagram and all of that. And I'm sure there will be more to come from us too. Definitely. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Bye everybody. Bye Bye, Vicki.